So if that doesn't fire you up to hear from Kevin O'Leary, I don't know what will. We have known Kevin for many years. Maybe we'll throw show some photos of that. But Kevin O'Leary, listen, he started out at an ice cream shop. He wanted to be the master ice cream scooper. He wanted to be the manager and work his way up. But then, and this is what I think he told me. But then one day, a manager said, Kevin, come over here. Can you scrape up this gum off the floor? And Kevin's like, what? I got to scrape this gum off the floor? I mean, the way that you're telling me and how you're talking to me. Kevin said, no way. He packed up, left the ice cream store, and that day went on to um, other avenues. He went home and he decided, I'm going to take I'm going to take the future in my own hands. And what was that future? He went in his basement and started building educational products for kids. Well, that, you know, you start in your basement, you never know where it goes. That company turned into the learning company, which he sold for a lot of money and made a lot of people very wealthy. Kevin didn't get tired. He didn't stop there. He could have just stopped, relaxed, chilled out. No, he likes to be in the action. He likes to be in front and center and make things happen. He went to Shark Tank and he get, you know, kind of got the Simon Cowell reputation. He gave the real facts and people loved him for it. Actually, he got a name called Mr. Wonderful. Some of the most successful companies he invested in are Plated, Groovebook, Blue Land, Honey Fund, Benji Lock. Those are just a, just a few. Um, and then he has a company called Beanstalk, another financial advice. O shares. We have so many different things that Kevin does. And so today we're going to spend the hour to learn about not just these companies, but the mindset it took for him to just keep going and producing success after success and not being afraid of failure. So that to me is exciting. And I'm going to shut up. I just want to show one last thing before I do. Where is my uh, Spencer? He likes to change things on me. Um, I can't find it. Where is my Spencer? You changed my videos. Of course he did. Okay. So, well, I can't show it. I was going to show a little fun video. I have of Kevin uh, playing the guitar, but um, I don't see it anymore, Spencer. So I guess we're just going to hand it off to add Kevin to the stream. Here we go. Um, all right, Kevin, how are you doing? Great to be here. Thank you so much. How did you like that intro? I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Whoever that Mr. Wonderful guy is, he sounds great. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. So, so, uh, you're not, you're look like you're on the side of shark tank, but maybe you're somewhere else. Uh, I like, I like the look. It looks good. Um, was I right on my story? You wanted to be the ice cream scooper of the century. And I then that day ha thing happened. Yeah, with one small modification. I didn't leave. She fired me. She said, if you're not going to scrape the gum off the floor, um, that's the end of your job here. And I didn't want to get down on my knees because the girl I was interested in was working at the shoe store right across. And the whole plan was to get that scooping job so I could, you know, kind of date her after we went. Because we were in high school, you know, and, and I thought, gee, my first day, she's going to see me, you know, scraping gum off the floor. It's going to destroy my street cred with her. So I took a chance and I got fired. And that's when I realized there's two types of people in the world, people that own the store and people that scrape the shit off the floor. And you have to kind of decide there's nothing wrong with being an employee. You can have a great career doing that, but it's probably not going to give you the freedom that you may want if you take the entrepreneurial path, which is much harder, but you don't do it for the greed of money. You do it for the personal freedom you achieve if you have success. I tell all my students that now, this is not about money. It's about personal freedom. Yep. I, I hear you. And so I want to take people back a little further because there's something in you that's innate 
that I mean, and we're going to talk about everything you have going on now. But I, last night I hosted a clubhouse in the middle of the night at 1 a.m. And literally uh, hundreds of people came in the clubhouse and I got like 200 questions in a half an hour for you from a clubhouse group. And one of the big things this one guy asked me was about mindset. What is Kevin's mindset that got him from there to there? Like, was it university? What, what was it that like makes you think differently and makes you like go after things in a different way? Like, yes, you build a company in your basement, but then you sold the learning company. What was that? Is there something that you could describe or is it you just got lucky? I mean, what is it? I think luck's part of it. I think, you know, just serendipitous karma and all that. I believe in all that stuff. But, you know, um, I, I think the, the whole idea, and I see this in many entrepreneurs that I actually fund, is you, you make this assumption that you, you're you doing it, um, you know, because you're trying to get rich. It's, the ones that are successful have, really don't do that. They're, they're so passionate about some mission they have or some business they have that they're willing to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And that, that generally is very powerful if you're successful and you understand how to manage that process. But the problem is, even if you spend 10 years doing it, like I did in the learning company, and then you sell it, you sold it for 4.2 billion. And there were 10 of us as founders. So it was a huge liquidity event for us. And I remember the next day, everybody came right back in the office and said, okay, what's next? I mean, we don't know anything else except working and we like to do it. You know, and if you if you if you look at the majority of those ten, um, they're all alive still. They're all working their asses off. They're all doing other stuff, and they're just driven by the fact that that's what they know and that's what makes them happy. They don't have to. None of them have to, and yet they're 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 doing all kinds of things. Some of them, you know, in different sectors. Some stayed in software, but you know, we keep we keep in touch because we went through that experience. It's almost like serving in a war in some ways, and we're very close to each other and. Um, but there, there, there's no retirement. I don't, there's just, I want to keep doing what I do. And they're working even harder. That's crazy. So I know it happens, but I, I've seen it happen myself. When, you, when the learning company bought you, were you guys out there shopping yourself to get sold? Or is it like a partner you were working with? Like, how does a deal like that come about for $4.4 billion plus dollars? No, what happened was uh, the personal computer price collapsed from $2,600 to $799. Walmart did that. And all of a sudden, um, we were the largest provider of educational software and math and reading skills for families. We had Oregon Trail, Reader Rabbit, Math Rabbit, uh, Where in the World's Carbon San Diego, all those titles. And, and, all, and, and all of a sudden, the toy companies realized that most of the waking hours of these kids that were sort of, you know, four to nine years old was sitting in front of a computer using our software. And they said, well, we got to get into this game. And so we had, you know, multiple toy companies coming after us and others. And... Um, you know, it was a public company by then. You have a fiduciary duty to entertain offers, and it just became a bidding war in some ways. I, I can't believe that you were the guy selling Where's Carmen San Diego. I remember playing that in like fourth grade all day. I should have known it was you. Oh my God, that's crazy. It was Oregon Trail, too. Oregon you know, Trail. Well, yeah. when, I remember one year when uh, we got a Walmart order so big that we had to actually hold back one of Michael Jackson's, I think, off the wall album. Um, wow because we, would, we had all the stamping capacity. Back then it was distributed in CD-ROMs and Bertelsmann was the largest provider globally. And we were a bigger customer than uh, Sony was. And so we uh, said, nah, we gotta, we gotta get these discs out to Walmart, uh, you know, something like 120 million of them. And I guess you're gonna have to delay that stamping. So Michael, wherever you are, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hear you. All right, we're gonna get to psychedelics and all that in a little bit. But the question I'm asking now is in the morning when you wake up, 
is there like a thought thing? Like, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Is it like, hey, I got to make sure all my portfolio companies, like what's the first thing you do or first couple things you do in the morning that maybe people can learn from? I get up around 530. Um, and I, I get onto the Peloton for about 45 minutes and I read all the research because, you know, I, I, I work for various networks, including CNBC, and you can't go on to a squat box or halftime report without reading the research. You look like an idiot. You got to know what you're doing. And I'm a bond guy, a balance sheet guy. And so I review uh, most of the Asian and European bond markets because the truth about stocks is the smartest money is in bonds because they have duration and quality risk. And so you want to watch if there's any moves in the in, in the bond market or the credit market, and it'll tell you the direction of the equity market. Um, and and I, so I do both. And then, um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of doing what I'm doing right now. I spend a lot of time uh, working, uh, supporting various platforms that mean something to me and support my, you know, my, my companies. The portfolio review occurs every week, 10 o'clock on Tuesdays. So the whole team gets together. We have 36 portfolio companies currently. So we're reviewing the situation of each. Um, that's part of the protocol, how we work. And then my primary job actually is to help my portfolio companies, my entrepreneurs reduce their customer acquisition costs. I mean, I enjoy millions of followers on all these different platforms. And I like to tell the stories of these companies and explain what they're doing, what their missions are. And um, generally that, that model works. And what, and, and you know, Jason, one thing you know, and you, you're kind of part of this, this um, social media aspect of, of investing, you know, this, the, the phenomenon obviously manifested itself in GameStop, but it's all over the place now. If you have, a, if you're, you have an investment and you, you're, you're passionate about your company and you're a large founding shareholder, like I am in multiple companies, I want to support those, those, those teams. I want to support those companies. I want everybody to know why I'm an investor, why I made that decision, because I want the company to thrive. And I can use my reach to get a conversation going about what these companies are doing, whether it's in mental health, whether it's in wireless technology for recharging, all of these different mandates. But there's a reason I put capital at risk. There's a reason I did it, and I just want to explain it. But that combination now has become very powerful. And uh, you're, you're actually, Benzinga is part of it. You're well aware of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And as you've been talking, I got like 16 text messages. They're like, Jason, he said Peloton. So we're, this is not in the interview, but you're, you use a Peloton. Do you like the company, like the stock? Um, I was bullish it because I think the social network is powerful, but a lot of people say, oh, there's be another one. It's a fad. What is your take on Peloton? No, no, I tend to own, uh, and I own that one too, uh, positions in companies where I use the products. You know, it, it's sort of, um, I understand their business model. I've you know had a chance to uh, part of the CNBC stuff meet their management. Um, I don't go to a gym anymore because I have a Peloton and elliptical in in my home, and I can use that time far more productively. And I think that's one of the reasons I had to wait like I don't know nine weeks. So that that in a normal situation, I'd say that is crazy. But the demand, it's not just um, you know the whole COVID thing and, and being locked in your house. It's really about working from anywhere. And so now when I shoot, you know, Shark Tank, I ask that a Peloton be installed, uh, you know, in my dressing room because I, I have an account and I want to use it when I get, a, I, I need exercise and it's a very efficient way to burn some calories and get some, you know, aerobic exercise. Are you on the so, bike or running? Um, I do uh, elliptic, you know, I do 45 minutes of um, Peloton and about 15 minutes of elliptical. 
so a total of about 400 calories burned and I'm, you know, I've got or a aura ring and all that stuff. I'm totally, and I care what I eat and obviously I'm an O'Leary fine wine. So I care about how many calories I take in drinking wine, which I do every night. So all of that stuff comes together. It's sort of a lifestyle thing, but I just want to use my time efficiently. And that's part of the story. No, that, and that's where you're reading reports. Now we're going to move over to mental health, but before we do, I got to play a little thing. All right, so psychedelics, mental health, MMEDF or mind med. You get on a lot of different things and you get them in, you get in early. Love yeah. people, I have all types of questions around this. Um, will you give your thesis on mind med and psychedelics in general? What got you confident in this that you wanted to be this as one of your next big ventures? Uh, J.R. Rand, the CEO, approached me a long time ago um, with this insane thesis, uh, I thought at the time, that, uh, that psychedelics uh, from the late 50s and 60s were actually very powerful medicines but got short, got basically sidetracked by the whole psychedelic overdosing movement. And now uh, the research should come back towards medicines and he wanted to form a company that would do the research because um, he knew that there, and I know now that there haven't been any new medicines for mental, Ill mental illness in 35 years. We, we tend to sedate or drug people or give them Ritalin or, you know, Zantac and all these drugs that are just terrible for kids or people that have anxiety or opioid addiction or alcoholism, whatever it is that's afflicting them. He claimed that, that, that there, was, there was merit in, um, in going through the clinical trial, FDA approved clinical trials all, all around the world to show that these drugs are in fact very powerful medicines that can really help in these massive societal mental illness problems. Now, for example, you know, uh, up to 40% of an evening's patients going into any emergency ward in any major American city do not have any lacerations or physical damage. They're mentally ill. They've, they've attempted suicide maybe or whatever. So it's a massive, that. massive problem. And so, so we, after listening to him, he said, look, I'm, I'm looking for early round investors willing to take substantial positions and put capital to work. I had my guys check him out. You know, uh, I have a team that does due diligence. And even my own people said, this guy is really interesting. The deal's really interesting. Um, you know, Alex Kenji, who runs O'Leary Ventures, very, it's not often that he says, uh, not only do I want my allocation that you loan me, I'm putting my own dough into this. And that was the case for uh, MindMed. So we became major investors and have, you know, we just got, um, this company said every milestone that JR set for it and everything he's done. It's it, last year was, I mean, it was my m most successful stock. I mean, I, I you know, I, it was unbelievable. And, and I still say that there's, it's in its third inning because it's advancing these trials. When you invest in this space, here's my advice to anybody looking at psychedelics. There's many, many, many companies now because it's now been, you know, psilocybin's approved in Oregon, Washington, DC. There's all kinds of companies trying to get into this. The outcomes are unknown. It's highly speculative. You want to find a company with as many trials, as many molecules as you can find, diversify your risk. So for me, that number one company, it's MindMed. JR was very, very sure and certain that he could get multiple trials going, which is what he's done on multiple molecules. So my, my risk is mitigated. What I don't like are companies that have one drug, one molecule, binary outcome, one or zero. If the, if the drug doesn't work, you're toast. The, the stock's worthless. So I stay away from those. MindMed is, is where I put my bet on. So, so it's kind of like in the venture capital space, you invest in 50 companies and one or two or three home runs and that, the same kind of concept? 
Yeah, exactly. And I think you're going to see this sector get indexed soon. Uh, there's so much interest in it at the institutional level. The institutions are all looking at it. You know, remember, as a recreational drug, it's a Schedule One narcotic, so it's illegal. But none of these companies are pursuing recreation. Mine isn't. Their mandate is, are, is a medicine. So they work very hard in going through the FDA approval process. And they have relationships with Langone in New York. And, and it, I mean, the, the company's really killing it. They're doing a fantastic job. And look, I'm biased because I'm a shareholder, of course. But I think if you're going to put money in a highly speculative sector like pharma and, and early pharma, which is what, um, you know, MindMed is, you better have a lot of trials going on, not just one. Yeah. And I know MindMed applied for a NASDAQ uplisting. Any updates on that that you want to break? Well, you know, I'm, I'm just a shareholder, so I don't know really what's going on internally. But, you know, I, I see no reason why NASDAQ wouldn't be interested in this new sector. I'm sure there's going to be multiple companies um, well, the thing I like about the NASDAQ exchange, because I've been, you know, many of my companies have been public and I've been on all the different exchanges. NASDAQ maintains an entrepreneurial spirit. It's got this kind of we can get it done. Um, they're, they're very heavy in compliance, obviously, but they have a the companies that are entrepreneurial like like MindMed. That's where they should list. You know, that's 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 the 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 uh, community of companies that that are on NASDAQ are very, very entrepreneurial in nature. And I I salute the exchange for that because they have built that into their culture. They build that into the way they look at new offerings and they they try and make it balanced across sectors. And, you know, in a way, you know, in a way that just seems to happen naturally. So it's a big shout out for them. But those guys nail it. NASDAQ is the the entrepreneurial exchange globally, I say. Yep. Got it. Got it. Now, switching from MindMed to what is your opinion on the Biden stimulus package and then potential of the raising taxes? What do you think that's going to do to the economy? What's your, what's your take on that? I think the stimulus package uh, that we've just signed in the law is, is making a huge mistake. And I'll tell you what it is. It's trying to, uh, to resuscitate an economy that no longer exists. The 2018-2019 economy uh, is not worth investing in. America 2.0 has emerged. It's a far more digital economy, a far more direct-to-consumer economy. Uh, many, many uh, consumer preferences have changed. Um, and yet here we are trying to bail out airlines yet again or keep defunct movie theater chains open with, with money that taxpayers are just throwing out of a helicopter. We're sending checks to people that are already gainfully employed that are above the national average of income. I don't understand why that has anything to do with COVID. I mean, this bill has so little to do with COVID, which it's, was the paint package on it. They basically said this is for COVID. But we've got, you know, $380 billion bailing out, you know, poorly run states. You've heard all this rhetoric before. I, I found $300 million to study, um, you know, how animals feel about COVID. What the hell is that? I mean, that's just a complete waste of money. And there's plenty of that in this bill. Full, full garbage. And, and what the risk is, it's inflationary. But at the same time, now that it's here, you have to realize that, uh, you know, my, my attitude is the economy is really strong right now. I think we're going to have a GDP growth of north of 7% in Q3 or 4. Um, and it's going to bound back, come back really quickly. And we basically put a lot of money to waste on this bill. I would have liked to have seen just two mandates. One, if it costs a trillion dollars to get everybody vaccinated three months earlier, spend that. And anybody that's been displaced is unemployed. I said unemployed. I would have supported them till they find new jobs, including airline employees, because there's going to be a place for them in the new economy and nothing else for anything else. Those are the two things that are holding back the economy. So that's how I would have done it. That would have maybe been a, 
you know, a package of much less than a trillion. It could have been 800 billion or something because we're, you know, Biden's doing a great job getting these vaccines into people's arms. And that's what he said he was going to do. But the rest of this money is a waste. And Kevin, we're here in Michigan in the county. I live Oakland County. They have no budget shortfall, but they just got a check for 290 million from the government and they don't know what to do with the check. They literally, and this is multiple counties. And so what happens there? I mean, I just gonna be so much waste. Yeah. I don't know if it's inflation. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, I know at one point you were running for in Canada. Uh, I mean, we, we wish you would. I mean, people keep saying, get Kevin to run again. But you, do you ever want to run again? Is that like? I, I, I never say never to anything. But that that experience cost me millions of dollars. Uh, I don't speak French, so I couldn't get the 78 seats in Quebec. Quebec is the Florida of Canada. It determines who the next prime minister is going to be. you got to get at least 23 seats there. I didn't. So I knew I was toast. But at the same time, that may change one day because there's so many different, you know, ethnic people, um, and if, including me, I'm Lebanese, Irish. So, I mean, that's why, you know, my parents went to Canada. I was born in Montreal. I moved down to Boston in the 90s. But still, I remember it fondly, and I thought I could have done a great job with a majority mandate. But politics, and I've said this before, Jason, is I, I warn everybody to think about this. I understand celebrity. I've been doing this for a long time. I understand that people may not like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank because he's a mean shark. I get all that. However, Politics is different. When you become a politician, 50% of the population hates you. And some people want to kill you. And it's a very crazy, crazy thing that I was not expecting because I was used to the whole, you know, celebrity thing. Politics, whoa, that's a whole different ballgame. So I'm not sure I want to get into that again. That was just too crazy. Okay, we're going to get to O shares in a second, but I want to go to a Pacific stock in a, for a second. Hold on one second. <laughs> you paid for this. Thing. I know, but no I one mean, tells you anyway. I love it. I love the car. Now the stock is crazy. I mean, why would you pay that multiple for a company that makes no money? And I, I'm not. I'm just. Elon Musk is a freaking genius. He really is, and I, I tip my hat to him. And that car is a beautiful thing. Okay, so this is. This is, you were at our office, like say three or four years ago, and you didn't like Tesla because the multiple, but then your son got an amazing internship and you started researching the company more. And you said, this company is actually a data company. And before the crazy run in Tesla, maybe it was a year and a half ago, you, you ch changed your mind and said, I'm going in Tesla and your timing couldn't have been more perfect. Can you talk about how like some people get so stuck in their opinions and they don't won't change their mind. They won't use different knowledge to change it. Can you talk about your thesis on Tesla, but how overall, how you take these differing viewpoints and you're not afraid to change? Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the, the scary thing about you, Jason, is you have this tape. That's how long you've been around. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, good on Benzinga. It's, it's, it's a hell of a platform, but anybody coming on here has to know that you've got stuff in the vault. That's scary. I get it. But let me answer that question because it's a very good one. Um, that day, I believe it was that day, I was on uh, um, Squawk Box with Kathy Wood and, and uh, in fact, had a chance to talk to her today about that event. And she was the hammer on Tesla at that time. And I was, in fact, discussing shorting it, but the borrow was really hard because so many people were short the stock. And, it, and when I got home, uh, my son, was, he, he was at, 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 it, was, it was lunchtime and we were, you know, watching the, the, it, the stock was correcting because some analysts, uh, you know, did a downgrade on it and it was trading at like $238 pre-split. And Trevor said to me, look, dad, you, you don't get it. It's not a car company. I mean, I've worked there for the summer and, and, it, and this is an incredibly entrepreneurial team that I work with. This company gathers data. It's in it for the long run. It has incredible battery technology. It has battery 
all this stuff he was spewing. Cause then I said, well, you're talking the book, you're working there. I think the thing's a joke. It's so expensive. He said, why don't you just shut up and buy some stock? You can afford it. I can't. And just consider it a data company. Think that it gathers its information, the resolution of what it sees all around the world. Every mile that a Tesla drives gets better. That's extremely valuable for autonomous driving down the road. Why don't you just think about that for a minute? And while you're thinking about it, go online and buy a whack of this stuff. I did. I mean, I said, maybe the kid's right. I don't know. And, and <laughs> yeah, the kid was right. And so was Kathy. I mean, it, and the problem is I have this mandate that I manage my own, you know, operating hold co. I never let a stock become more than 5% of the portfolio. That stock was a nightmare for me. Every week I had to sell more to keep it at five. So my cost base is zero a long time why do you, ago. Why do you do that? Why, like for your own, for your own thing, like why, did you have a bad experience? Like why, why not? Like Tesla's 35% of my portfolio. That's probably really bad, but I'm just, why did, how are you so disciplined? So the reason is my mother taught me this years and years ago. She, cause she was, a, she was not a classically trained analyst or anything. She just had this rule, 5% in any one stock, 20% in any one sector. And the reason that has really worked for me is that you, you, you're, keep, you're keeping in the game on the Tesla. You're still at 5% waiting as it goes and goes and goes. You're taking that capital as you keep it trimmed down to five and you're investing in Zoom or you're investing in you know, DocuSign or you're investing in, in, in um, you know, uh, Adobe or you're, 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 you're yeah, keeping Palantir. your port and, 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 or Palantir and all these names that I invest in and, and I'm basically harvesting my winners. My cost base goes to zero. Uh, and Georgette's right. I mean, my outcome has been spectacular because I've got all these, I'm always redeploying my capital. I'm always looking for a place to put it back to work. And, and, and she, and look, I, I, it saved me in the big downturns and the crash and the tech crash and all that stuff. Listen, you listen to your mother, what do you do? And she's been absolutely right. And so that is the, you know, I had to sell down my uh, real estate portfolio, got up to 31% of the portfolio. So I, I, before the pandemic hit, I was selling down to, to get it to 20. And then we kept selling as we started to see the impacts on commercial real estate, you know, climate control, storage, hotels, all this stuff that I'm glad I don't own now. It's down to 8%, but I got a whack of cash I have to put to work. And so now I'm looking for new opportunities. Good. If you guys hear that, we'll get to that. Now we're going to get to something special that Kevin has. Here we go. All right, these O shares have been just hitting it out of the, I want to say effing park, but that's the honest truth. <laughs> I, I, that, that's the honest truth. I remember, I remember actually, Kevin, when you were getting these things going, it was actually at this event, or this was part of it. Ready? So this was Kevin. This this was Kevin at the Benzinga FinTech Awards playing the guitar in front of a packed thousand people way back when, Kevin. And that was a YouTube celebrity. I don't know if he still is. Um, anyway, O shares. I mean, yeah. I, there's so many things I could say. I mean, OGIG, OUSA. O, I mean, all of it. And I remember the thesis with your, your your mom about dividend stocks. But like, what's your take? Like, how do you decide what money to put in each one of those things? Like, if someone's listening right now, because I've had about a six, like a bunch of questions about the ETFs. How should they think of how to allocate money into O shares? Yeah. So the, the reason I, I uh, became an owner of an indexing company, because that's what O shares does. It designs indexes. It's sort of financial scientific uh, rule development. And then it creates ETFs. And I wanted to be part of that so that I could um, 
my, my whole thing about my, my trusts actually are nowhere near as speculative as the stuff I do in, in private, you know, all the Shark Tank companies, all the other investments I make. I, I have to find a way, because uh, I have generational skipping trusts that support all kinds of charities, family members, and whatever, and, and, we, and we distribute 6% a year. So for me, it's not trying to beat the market. I'm trying to find ways to preserve my capital. So my largest holding for equities is, is uh, you know, in an index is OUSA because it's it looks at all the S&P 500 companies and says, okay, which ones are broken? Which ones return on assets are declining? Which ones are are getting hammered by policy or whatever? And it's showing up on their balance sheet and in more debt like the airlines or like the energy companies. And I only want I only want to own the ones that that really will continue to profit, reduce debt, and have high return on assets. So that's only a hundred of them. So, you know, out of the S&P 500, I own a hundred stocks in OUSA and that's 40% of my portfolio. And it, you know, it pays a distribution. It's in the form of dividends and profits, but it's really designed to, I don't want to participate when the market corrects and it will, it always does. I don't want the drawdown. I don't want to participate in hundred percent of the drawdown. So the S&P goes down 30%. I want to participate. I only want to go down 20% or less if I can. And that's the kind of thing you get with a, a portfolio like OShare. So it's not really trying to beat the market. It's trying to protect you on the drawdown and give you stability. That's, you know, really it's the core then for growth. And this is something you guys talk about all the time. I don't look at PE and growth stocks. If you looked at price earning ratios, you would have never bought Amazon in the last 17 years. It's always been expensive. The only metric, there's two metrics I look at in a stock and a growth stock. Per, and a lot of them are tech companies. What is the revenue growth quarter to quarter? Every 90 days, I want to see 20, 30, 40, 50% annualized growth rates because that's what you get out of a great growth company. And I want to see the quality of the balance sheet go up with more cash because they're profitable. And that's how OGIG came to in existence because I was writing all these checks to you know Shopify, to uh, CrowdStrike, to... Uh, Zoom. I didn't even know what Zoom was 24 months ago, and now I'm a big shareholder in it, and I certainly use it every day. And you know, all of these these tech companies had these growth metrics, and so if you look at what's inside OGIG, I bet you don't even know the names of two thirds of those companies. But they they way outperformed the, the Fangs. They grew much faster. The Fangs were what are what held back OGIG. OGIG was up over 100% last year. It's, to me, they're only in the third inning. They're not stay-at-home stocks. They're work from anywhere stocks, and that's. 15% of my employees are going to work from wherever they want to going forward. Some of them never met each other except on, on, you know, using technology to do so in person. And that's going to be the new America. So I use these ETFs. My, I'll, I'll disclose my, my weightings. I got 40% in OUSA, 20% in OUSM, which are small caps. So a subset of the Russell 2000, the profitable companies. So there's a couple of hundred out of the 2000 that actually make money. That's what's inside OUSM. So that's 20%. I put 20% into Europe, 50 companies there that everybody's heard the names of, you know, the Pfizer's and the Nestle's and all that. Good balance sheets, that's another 20%. And then for my growth, I do OGIG, 20% there. That's 100% of my equities in these in these uh, mandates, in these trusts. And hey, it's it's, uh, it's one way to do it. And, and, I, and I'm very comfortable. I know that people have developed the rules because uh, they work for me, it's great. Do you, do you ever like, like one day call up and say, hey, let's put this stock in here today because I think it's going to move in the next two weeks or is that not how it works at all? That never happens. You, like, you, do, you have a, do you have a red phone like the president? You just like, no, no, no. That never, that's what I love about indexing. When you create these rules, it doesn't matter. You cannot, these rules determine as they're tested each quarter or every year, 
what stocks deserve to be in and which ones get removed. You have no say in that. You either believe in the rules or you don't. And you watch the performance. That's the whole idea. So I own, you know, hundreds and hundreds of stocks. I go to sleep at night. I know everyone fits into the rules. And then if I want to do some trade on the side, if I want to, you know, do something crazy with some stock, I just buy it myself and I have some fun. Uh, but but it, it may be one that doesn't make the cut for, but it's not a long-term investment. It's a trade. I even joined the crowd. I, I downloaded, you know, I had a chance to call up Vlad over at Robinhood and talk to him for a while. And I downloaded his app. I put 10,000 bucks in there. I put another 10,000 into Beanstalks to see if I could day trade and beat the indexes that, that Beanstalks puts me into. So far, I haven't been able to win day trading. So I'm not saying you shouldn't day trade, but it's damn hard to consistently beat the indexes. Oh my God, Kevin, you got the stream going crazy. Um, Vlad, you you own Zoom still, correct? You own Zoom, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Zoom, Zoom, Zoom look at their numbers. They blow away their numbers every quarter. I mean, I love people saying, oh, it's over for Zoom. Zoom is over, it was a flash in the pan. What a joke. These guys are killing it. Now they're going in the telephone business as well, using their platform to reduce your, your communication costs on the phone. I mean, the, the, the company's on fire. I mean, I'm reading a comment. He's like, mum, he's the, uh, said his name wrong, but he's like, this OSHA is exactly what I'm looking for in terms of like an ETF uh, family. My question is, what is the assets under management or AUM now for O-shares? And what was it like three years ago? Uh, I think three years ago, it was like a couple hundred million. I, I think now it's 1.5 billion and so, or maybe more. I mean, I don't look at that too often, but it just, it, this is a platform that's built around this concept of preserving your wealth. You know, with, with the exception of OGIG, which was it was the star last year, and I, I think it continues to perform because I don't think this trend's going away. You know, O shares are boring. They're boring as hell. But if you want to preserve your wealth, I like boring. And that's really what I'm doing there. Oh my God. I mean, I don't think people realize how hard what you guys have accomplished is. I really don't think it's not just that it's grown, but your timing and you're taking these risks. And we're going to go to one more. Yeah, this is okay. Hold on one second. All right, the Bitcoin, Kevin. So it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin. What is your take? Is this, and guys, I, I see a 75 people have sent me the same thing. Ask them about NFTs, ask about NFTs. I will ask them about NFTs, stop it. Okay, let's go on Bitcoin. What's your take? I mean, you guys got one of the smartest guys in the industry around. I mean, th this is like, you can't pay for this stuff, literally. So yeah, give your advice on Bitcoin. Whatever Kevin says, I'm doing, go ahead. So here's, here's what I've, um, you know, I've, I'm, I've been really slammed by people because I said uh, disparaging comments about Bitcoin in the past uh, as an asset class. But when facts change, I change. And the reason I was so concerned, I originally bought Ethereum and Bitcoin in 2017 in a wallet, okay? Um, and I watched it for all that period of time. I never talked about it because the regulator, because I'm, I'm in many regulated business. O-Shares is a regulated business. I'm a chairman of that company. I'm an investor in many fintech companies, many payment companies. And, you know, the regulator determines um, the tone of what institutions are willing to buy and not buy. And clearly, for years, the regulator was not on board on cryptocurrencies. I, that's obvious. I don't have to tell anybody that. But lately, things have changed. You saw it first in Switzerland, then France, then Germany, then Australia, then the UK, and then Canada, just north of us, opened up to the first ETFs that only own Bitcoin in it. And so I felt, okay, we're in a new place now, and I want to, I want to, as they say, come out, which I did, and said my allocation is 3% in, in Bitcoin. Now, something happened, Jason, to me uh, in these last couple of months regarding this that I want to make you aware of 
that I think is a big issue for all of us that are involved in this sector. Um, because I'm so involved with institutions in constant dialogue with them and sovereign funds um, in various countries, I got a ton of phone calls. I was not anticipating this, and they were all the same. Where did those, the coin you own, the Bitcoin you own, where was it mined? Who cares? They said, no, 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 no. That coin was probably mined in China, where they take coal and they burn it to generate electricity at an ever-increasing amount to mine Bitcoin. And they have, you know, uh, human rights issues with, with the, the rest of the world, and they have, you know, human rights abuses, and um, they're a sanctioned country in terms of tariffs in the United States, and you own coin mine there? Okay, uh, didn't see that one coming, and, uh, you know, so if you know, and I know this now, every single coin, you can tell exactly when it was created, but you can't tell where it was created. And so to be compliant with these compliant committees that are sitting on top of institutions that care about sustainability, care about human rights abuses, care about origin of assets, including Bitcoin, you, you completely caught, caught me off guard. So I said, okay, okay, new plan, new plan. I have to own my own coin, virgin coin that I know was mined compliantly. In other words, the most efficient I can own using the least electricity I can use, you, and not in countries that are sanctioned in any way, like in China, how am I going to do that? So what I did is I started reaching out to miners, big ones, small ones, big ones, saying, you guys need capital, right? You want to get the latest equipment? New deal. How about I loan you the money or give you the money, become an equity shareholder in your mine, and you pay me back, wait for it, in a royalty, and you give it to me in coin, virgin coin that I own, with a timestamp on it, and I know where it originated from, and it's compliant. Those are now, the, that's the new way I'm going to do coin. So I'm out there talking to every single miner. I want, I'm going to give them fantastic technology so they can go from a 98% or 96% production up to 99.9, be more efficient, use less electricity. And I'm going to lend them anything they need in terms of expanding their operations. And all I'm going to get back are virgin coins in a royalty. That's my new, and since I said that, I've got inundated with calls institutions saying, wait a second, why can't we do that with you? Why can't we be your partner in compliant mining? Because that's the only coins we can own. Who knew this was coming? Who knew this was coming? This means over time, Jason, I'm speculating when I say this, that maybe the virgin coin with proof of where it was actually made is going to be more valuable than blood coin in China. How about that? That's what I'm thinking. I mean, that's crazy and amazing all, all in a sense. I mean, the, you're the royalty king, so you know how to get those done. People are asking, well, where, how do I invest in this? And I'm sure you'll have stuff in the future. But th the royalty part of it, is that like the effective way that you're going to get involved in it? You don't have to act, you don't actually have to own the mining. You can you, you can fund the operation and get royalties for, you know, whatever coin they sell. Like, how does that work? I guess I'm going to do both. I'm going to I'm going to buy miners that want to that need expansion, they want to take equity, I'm happy to do that. Or I'll do royalties. I'll, get, I'll, loan, I'll loan them money and loan them equipment and loan them technology, and I'll take a royalty. I'm going to do both. There's a reason they call me Mr. Wonderful. It's amazing. I mean, those royalty deals, like over the years, have they, have they worked and stuff like the, you know, for the Shark Tank, have those been your best deals when you do the royalties? They have been. I mean, look at the Blue Land, you know, a company like that, 
They didn't want to give away more than 3% of their company. And they were willing to go into a royalty plan until I got back my capital. They were so successful that I got my capital back in 45 days and I still own a huge chunk of the company. The royalty structure is brilliant. It's going to work for me in Bitcoin. It's worked for me for decades. And you know, everybody says, oh, you know, all he wants to do is royalty deals. And I do all kinds of deals, but I love royalty deals because of the, as I like to say, cash flow, rolling off my lips, cash flow. Everybody should think about cash flow. That's what you like about royalties. It's going to work in Bitcoin too, but I'm going to be compliant. I will only own compliant coin so that nobody can say to me that I own blood coin or I supported pollution or I supported human rights abuses. I don't want any of that stuff. You know, I don't want that stuff. I want the pure virgin coin and that's where I'm going with this. So the pure virgin coin. Now, are there, are you ready to announce any miners you're invested in or is that for later to come? L later to come. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm negotiating all over the place right now. I mean, this only happened. 45, 50 days ago. And I, and then I've also said to everybody that talked to me about, you know, the China coin problem, I will divest of those coins and I will get my 3% at my virgin level so that I can prove to you every single coin I own in my wallet is compliant, 100% compliant. And I think you're going to see many other institutions, Jason, follow. It's, this is not me. This is the sustainability committee saying, wait a second, you're supporting uh, countries that have, you know, all the issues I've talked about. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that anymore. I am going to do it on a compliant basis. Now, the value of Virgin Coin, and I've said this earlier, I think the thesis will be over time. If you can prove the provenance, just like blood diamonds, if you can prove the provenance, there'll be a delta in value because a lot of people don't, don't want a uh, coin that came from wallets that helped crime in any way. It's institutional. And remember, less than 10% of institutions have even that could buy coin have done so because of issues like this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's like, I mean, Jeff Bezos built to Amazon, but it's like you're on the, you're doing all these different things ahead of the game before it becomes a thing. Psychedelics wasn't a thing. Now, wherever I go, my dad, Jason, ask Kevin about mind med. Oh, well, what's the next one? It's like, you're, you're just ahead of the thing. Um, uh, Beanstalk. I mean, that was an app for people to, you know, look at their finances, invest. Um, then the ETFs. You realize people aren't going to have all the time to trade stocks like you you said that you tried with Robinhood. Now, I mean, those are all the things that Kevin's doing. And we only have a few more minutes, but I got to uh, be remiss not to ask. You said you called Vlad during the, the Robinhood stuff that was going on. What kind of conversation was that? Why would you reach out? Any, you know, things to share about what you think and, you know, any takeaways from that call with Vlad, who is the CEO of Robinhood? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to give him support before he went in front of Congress and got grilled by those guys. Um, it's so unfair to take an entrepreneur that was so successful as he was, you know, the number one app on Apple during that period, uh, 20 million plus accounts. Um, you can have your issues around, uh, you know, whether you approve of the way, way his platform works or day trading at all. But the truth is you can't short a stock on, on Vlad's platform. Robinhood doesn't let you short stocks. It's, it, it's, it's really about safety. And he, and, and as I, he's an engineer and I, I, I love to work with engineers and I didn't know if he'd call me back or not, but, but he did. And we had this conversation and his marketing team. Um, and I was really impressed with that guy. I mean, he, he was really a pragmatic guy trying to make it safe for people uh, to learn how to invest, which is what I'm doing in financial literacy. So we're totally aligned. And I also learned many other CEOs had called him with words of encouragement before he went up to that, that crazy show that was going on in Washington. And, and, I, and I'm very supportive of what he does. And I, I, I shout out to anybody that asks me, uh, that guy, is they should shut him down. No, they shouldn't. He's done something 
no one else has done. He's got 20 million people that probably had never learned how to buy and sell a stock or build a portfolio doing it on the platform, which I think should be applauded. And I'm, I'm a supporter. And so, you know, we can disagree whether day trading is investing or it isn't, but it, they're learning something. And I argue to everybody that day trades on any platform, including Robinhood, take 10% of your winnings and put them into a robo app like a Beanstalks and, and leave it alone. Just let it grow for your future. You know, that's exactly what I did. And I looked at it a year and a half later. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea. I was up like 31%. I'm like, this is like free found money. I left it in there and I'm not looking at it. And uh, and I agree with you. Vlad has opened up the markets to the average person that wouldn't look at it. And he was a forerunner there. Absolutely. Um, the question I need to follow up on is NFTs. What's your feeling on NFTs or are you not there yet? No, no. Listen, I think the way you have to think about it from 30,000 feet. Um, there's a digital uh, asset class that, that encompasses many different ways of viewing it. If you believe, and I, and I do, that there is going to be a digital universe of assets, they fall into that digital universe. Any way that you can create an asset that can't be uh, you know, uh, copied in a way that you don't know about um, is going to have value in the new world. And so when you, when you talk about eliminating counterfeit, which is what you can do with a digital platform like this, you're going to create a lot of different things that people put a lot of value on. And, and so, you know, it was interesting to see uh, digital art selling for $69 million because, in fact, that model is you can't counterfeit it. Um, it is a known asset. It is tracked on the blockchain. And the artist who originated it will actually participate forever every time it retrades, which is actually the way many musicians feel about their asset. They want to digitize music so that it's sampled on the chain in a way it can't be counterfeited. And when it's sampled, they get a royalty. That's coming too. And so if you can wrap your head around that and understand it, because many people are not there yet, and it goes right back to the Bitcoin discussion, you are either binary, yes, no, and Bitcoin. And if you decide, yes, Bitcoin, the next step is what percentage allocation of my net worth or my portfolio? For me, it's three. And then now this new element I talked about, which is going to come into the digital world in a big way, where was it made? What's its providence? Did, did you do it on a sustainable basis? Who knew that was going to be an issue? But it is. And so I'm, I'm in the place now where a percentage of my assets are going to go digital. It may be in all different kinds of forms, but the core holding is going to be Bitcoin uh, because the world is treating it as a property. And I think all of these assets are properties in some way or another. Just like your home is a property, your, your virgin coin will be your ownership in an asset that I believe will grow in value over time. Okay. Um, before I ask my next question on another one of your company, Start Engine, in one second, the question I want to ask first, do you think, I mean, we have Benzinga Pro. Do you think that the retail trader will ever be fully on a, a level playing field as prop traders or hedge funds. We're trying to do that with Benzinga Pro, but what's your thoughts on that? Every day it gets closer. Every day it, it's more democratized. It's proof in what happened with GameStop. I mean, you know, when, when you get a sophisticated group of, of individuals that may not have a lot of money, but they have enough to actually buy some shares and you have millions of them, they can cause chaos on a heavily shorted stock that some professional hedge fund manager, some, you know, um, considered smart money, not looking so smart anymore because they never saw this coming. And they got slaughtered because of, of the herd just basically saying there is a 
they did their own research. They found a stock with a very small float, very illiquid, that was heavily short, and they went after it. And now, not everybody made money, but a lot of people along the way timed it properly. And I think this is a never-ending problem for hedge funds now. And a new way that the you know, everybody says, all oh, the algos will solve this. I'm not so sure. I think the new technology makes it easier and easier for the individual that's willing to do the research to go out there and compete with the so-called smart money. And I mean, yeah, that's it. And that's and that's why Benzinga exists in the sense we're for the people by the people. We like we, we, the, a lot of the questions I've asked you are from a thousand over a thousand questions submitted by our community over the last two weeks. A lot of the well, let me let me do a shout out for Benzinga because it. I, I remember when we met years ago, and I thought this is incredible. It's kind of like a platform for entrepreneurs and to support nascent companies as they grow. And you've come into something else now. You're kind of like your own digital universe and you're competing with all the big guys, even Reuters. I mean, I listen to your feed all the time to get new information and you're doing a hell of a job doing it. But I, I don't think even you, Jason, saw that coming. I can't imagine you you thought what you have now is what you started with. That That's just the digital pivot going back and forth. And now for every company, uh, including MindMed, I tell the CEOs, you got to get involved with Benzinga. They have a huge reach to, to early investors. And you know, that's what I told JR and you, you interviewed him and everything else. I tell all my CEOs, this is a very, very, very important platform. And look, all the other platforms are important too, but you're up there now. You're, you're up, you're way up there in a must do campaign to get information out about companies' missions. Yeah. And Kevin, the funny thing is, you know, that Tesla clip I played and you're like, oh, Jason, you have these clips. That clip, I, I turned off the comments on it. It was from like four or five years ago. It was one of my first live interviews ever. I got ripped on to shreds because I took questions from Twitter and people were tweeting. And I had my phone. And so the people who were watching on YouTube said how disrespectful I was. that I wasn't that I was like they thought I was texting people. but I was really reading questions on Twitter. It was my lesson that I learned that if you're going to do questions from Twitter, you have to have a big screen in front of you or something else, because that video has like 200 or 500,000 views. I had to turn off the comments because it was literally just a rampage on me about looking at my phone when I was interviewing you. It was my first real live interview with you. That was five years ago or something. No. Did I expect we'd be here and have 25 million people coming to our site a month and all that stuff? No, like I, I didn't. And you're right. And so, and it's a different world out there. And that's why there's alpha to be created here. I mean, you said you're investing in miners on here and the community is going crazy. They're writing all these different US miners. Hi, this one, that one. Oh, we should look at this miner. And that's where it goes. And then maybe eventually it gets to these other networks. But like, this is where it starts. We had Kathy Wood on oh, two weeks ago and everyone was taking our clips and putting them everywhere. And so totally agree with you. I didn't see it all coming for sure. Not for sure. Not yeah, or I would have. Listen, you did it. And that's the great executional skills are really hard to find, frankly, because that's the number one thing I look at on these nascent private companies I invest in. I'm willing to put more capital to work if I'm confident that the, you know, the, that there's executional skills. And I think in the case of mining, and I know there's a lot of miners I've been contacted by many, there's a big consolidation coming in, in the mining industry. There's going to be two or three big players eventually because they're going to be under the pressure of CapEx. There's a lot of capital required to really get efficiency. I mean, you want to get your mining costs down below 5,000 bucks a coin. It's not easy to do really hard. And so you've got to find places where you're not burning your cash on air conditioning, you know, Northern Sweden, Denmark, things like that. So these are, it's really an interesting space, but once you're committed to it, as I am, you now have to optimize it and you have to find ways to be compliant 
for all the stuff I talked about earlier. So I think I think this this journey continues with you and I and Benzinga, and I'm proud to be part yep. of it. Those clips make me part of the original. The only thing that pisses me off, I don't own half of it. That's a shame. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean <laughs> we're gonna grow three times this year. I mean the last two years we've grown, and the thing was when three years ago we should have restructured our cap table. Had you take out the original investor that for a million dollars, and you know because like we're now getting like. I mean, we're the biggest vendor of financial news into the broker space. Every broker. Yeah, and I, it, it's what you've done is it, it always pisses me off when I did. I should have said, I'll, I'll take a third of it. You know, I, I tried. Was, I tried to wow you in that yeah. short little time in that little conference room. We walked you down and you guys, when we walked Kevin O'Leary. We're in downtown Detroit. He came in our building. And when I say Michael Jackson used to have crowds around him, I'm going to tell you there was anywhere from 30 to 150 people running after Kevin as he left our office. We had to get security and we didn't have enough security. So me and like a few other guys are like walking around Kevin in a, in a circle. I wish I had video of that because yeah, I have never I remember, been- I, it, It's my bad. I should have just, you know, anyways, you yeah. know, Okay. That's the thing. You can't, you can't win them all, but, but we're still working together and I'm very yep. proud of what you've done. And everybody, you know, everybody talks to me about you. Oh, well, Benzinga, Benzinga said this, Benzinga said that. I remember the right. days when you were so nascent. You were so early. Yeah, so early. So the last question, I appreciate the Kevin. I appreciate the nice words. We love you. The rap, you know, everything. The last question is, I just don't want to, I'll be remiss not to ask one of your companies that you're out there for, the government just changed the law. Uh, start engine 1.4 million. I think you could invest and now it's 5 million. Is that a huge boon for investing? Does it, there need to be a lot more changes still? What is your take on that? And then we'll let you go and we'll do yeah. this again next quarter or something. Game changer on the move. Um, the jobs act years and years ago was really to democratize early venture investing. They all, the, the government wondered why is it that only venture capital firms get all the winners like Microsoft and Yahoo and you know, and Google. Why, why isn't there a, a more broad, more democratic way to invest? And, and Howard Marks, I got to hand it to him. He came up with me. He was a co-founder of the Activision. We were competitors back in the learning company days, so I certainly knew him. Um, he, did it the, he, he took the Jobs Act and he said, I'm going to reverse engineer this. I'm going to build a platform and get hundreds of thousands of investors on it. Um, and, and I'm going to get them first. Then I'm going to bring deals and that people can shop the deals and build their own venture capital portfolios. And that was when the most you could raise was 1,070,000. Now, most venture capital companies would compete with great deals, great entrepreneurs by saying, if you do all the work for Start Engine, you're only gonna raise a million bucks. But if you work with us, you can raise 5 million bucks. Well, guess what? The regulator looked at that too and said, we'll fix that, bang. Now the minimum, now the maximum is 5 million on the first round. So now Howard's got this plan and I went to see him because I was going to compete with him. I always go see my competitors first saying, I'm going to set up the wonder platform. I compete with you. And he said, why are you competing with me? I've spent years getting this platform going. Why don't you become an investor and, and join me? And I'll make you a, a paid spokesperson if you believe in the platform and you'll represent me in the markets. And I went, wow, he's right. You know, you got to listen. You got to listen. So I'm an investor. I'm, I'm a, I bring my companies onto it. I work for Howard on it because I believe in what he's doing, but I want him to be wildly successful because I'm an owner of that business too. And, and I want to use it to, to help entrepreneurs. So now you get to set your own, you don't have to do, take preference shares. You can the level playing field on the cap table. I can't stand deals where somebody says to me, well, this venture capital firm has a preference over you like hell they do. I'm not doing that deal ever. So if you want to get funded, come on to Start Engine and be part of a democratic cap table, in which case there's many 
customers that become shareholders that don't have to exit in five years like all those VC guys. I'm not against VC guys, but I love competition. And I never let somebody have a preference over me as a shareholder in any company. That's, that's not even in my DNA. Why in the world would I let anybody have a preference over me? That's, that's, that's un-American. That's the way I look at it. And so I like the Start Engine platform and what it can do to democratize and let you as an entrepreneur, if, if you have a deal and you want to raise five million bucks, come and see us. We'll show you how to do this and help you and show you, make sure you're compliant. And you'll use this platform for the rest of that company's requirements of capital. I mean, hearing you say that, like, just has me so amped up. We have to do a lot more then to get the word out because the good entrepreneurs who have startups and stuff, they sometimes don't go do the research like me. They just go and execute and they don't necessarily go do the research on the investing part. And I, I'm not saying I'm a good entrepreneur. I'm saying I didn't do the full research when I was raising. My point to you is we got to send that message to the world because yeah. there's so many guys creating companies. And you're right, the preferential preference, you know, like I know what you're talking about and you're right, like these solutions are out there and they're not utilizing them. People are still sending these emails to you. Hey, you wanna invest in my company? I mean, four guys said I have an idea to pitch to Kevin. Well, I Kevin will take it. You can go to Shark Tank or you can go on Stardigen or you can send it to me and I'll try to filter it. But whatever it is, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Kevin is on. Kevin. We appreciate you coming on the Raz Report. It's you're the best. We met you so many years ago when I first met you. We're like, is he nice? Is he mean? Kevin tells you the facts. You know, five years ago he didn't want to really invest in Benzinga. I, you know, but he came to the office. He didn't know me from Adam. A big mistake. A big yeah. mistake. But it happens but, to everybody. But it's all it's all good, and we're gonna figure out many ways to work with each other. Where it's always gonna be win win, and we're all gonna make money together. And we're gonna have Kevin on more. I know everyone here is a fan of you, and they got to hear a lot more of how you think. They just thought you were the handsome guy on the show. They just thought you were on the show for your good looks. They didn't think you were actually. You know, they didn't know you knew all this stuff. They're like just super amazed. They're like, how can I see more of Kevin? Well, we have more interviews on YouTube and articles. Go look at them in the past. Kevin, thank you for coming on the Raz Report. You were the man. Have a great day. Uh, check out O'Shares, guys. Check out Beanstalks. Check out everything Kevin does. Start Engine, the uh, Shark Tanks on you know, Fridays. That's it. So, Kevin, thank you for coming on. Anytime, Jason. Thank you, my friend. Yep. Thank you. Have a great day. Now, the rest of you guys, um, you guys, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. This is the Benzinga channel. We go every day from 8 a.m. to around 5 p.m. Like and subscribe. There'll be a lot more coming. I, we had, you know, um, Kathy Wood, Kevin O'Leary. We are serious about Elon Musk. We're serious about other really large names coming on and you're not going to be able to find out unless you're subscribed and liked. You're not going to just get alerted from a notification if you don't have that bell turned on. Turn that bell on, get subscribed, share with your friends. The only reason we can do this stuff is if you're here to support the channel. If you don't support the channel, if you're not here, then we don't bring you these interviews. And the thing that we, and like, well, you're probably wondering, well, why should you support the channel? Why should you, you know, I can go look at another channel. Because the thing that we do different, it's for the people, by the people. I have two pages of questions here, okay? 80% of the questions that I just asked, 80%, 85, were from the users, from us. Someone said that I asked a question about what does Kevin do every morning when he wakes up because I was just, you know, wanted it for viral articles? Not at all. That was 11 times people asked a very similar question. What does Kevin do the first thing he wakes up? That is what we're about. Check out Benzinga Pro. 
That is where you can get real-time data. I'm in, I'm in the chat room all day, but that's Benzinga Pro. That's our premium thing. Like think of like a naked Bloomberg. And, you know, and Benzinga may have ETS, but yeah, if you are interested in working here or, or, or joining us on this mission to build better media, to build better way content's delivered, if you have a drive and a passion and what Kevin said, if you know how to execute, if you're an executor, an executor that takes things and runs through walls, send an email to cooljobs at benzinga.com. That's cooljobs at benzinga.com with three or four bullet points on what you can do. We have a lot of holes and a lot of opportunities to improve, but we have the hardest working workforce. We got a guy named Mitch, Spencer, Rohan, Aaron, who are working in this thing, Envir, working this stuff, doing an amazing job. And this is just the beginning of a crusade that we're on to give better information to investors throughout the day and every day. And that's what we're here for. So if you can help us, because we can't do it on our own, we need Zinger Nation to be part of us. We need you, we need you guys bad. Kevin is one of these guys and we're going to bring you guys smart guys and we're going to bring you guys people that you never heard of. So the, the future Kevin O'Leary's, the future Kathy Woods, we bring them all the time. I had a guy, Jack, you know, Jack, I'm with ENG and CLSK and VIP. Like we're going to bring you guys those people that no one knows about really or a little bit of people know about and you could profit off their picks. We have a show starting Catherine Ross on cryptos coming up. Like we bring those people. I see Catherine in the waiting room and that's what we do at Benzinga. So I'm sorry if I have too much energy, but I get really excited when I see the work this team puts in to make these shows possible. I don't know if you guys saw that Kevin O'Leary intro video. It was awesome. The whole thing was awesome. So again, Benzinga Pro, you can check out, or if you want to learn more about Kevin's uh, picks and how he makes his decisions, just go on Google, type in Kevin O'Leary space Benzinga, and you're going to see 10, 15 different articles and about disruption, innovation, and building ETS. Check out those O shares. Those O shares are tremendous, absolutely tremendous. So, um, and Beanstalks, like those are things, and that's what we do here. We build, we build information, and we're changing the way people invest. We're changing the way people invest. If you use a brokerage or a platform, if you don't see Benzinga on there, send them an email. Say, I don't see my Benzinga on it. It's like back in the day, cable television didn't have MTV, and people, they had a slogan, I want my MTV. Say, I want my Benzinga. If it's on Comcast, if it's, uh, you know, whatever, Charles Schwab, whatever, say you want your Benzinga news. If you do that, send an email to powerhour at benzinga.com with a screenshot, your name in town, and we will send you some swag. Again, say you want your Benzinga news, Benzinga information on the platform that you use. If it's not there, then send an email to powerhour, powerhour at benzinga.com, and we will send you swag, t-shirts, jackets. Nate, you have to give your size, okay? And send a screenshot, and that is, again, powerhour at benzinga.com. You can tell your brokerage, tell a website, but that's it. This is for the people, by the people. You tell us the next guests you want on and we will bring them on. If we can't find them, we will go to their house. I don't know. We will find a way to bring what you want. These interview questions weren't mine. Some of them were, but 85% of them were from the community. Clubhouse, our users, all that stuff. That's what we do at Benzinga. Zinger Nation is not just a media company. It's a movement to change the way information is delivered. That's why we created Benzinga Pro. I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had access to these expensive Bloomberg terminals and hedge funds had expensive and you guys find out five minutes later. Well, that is no longer and that we dropped the, the oars in the boat. We're out in sea. And we hope you join us on our boat and our crusade to change the way information is delivered. If you're looking for a job, apply. If not, Tell your brokerage, tell your platform, tell your news. We're, we're on the Benzinga mission and say you want your Benzinga. And now I'm going to pass it off 
to the crypto show. And that is it. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any feedback for me, let me know. You can give me feedback on Twitter. My name is Jason Rasnick. Just do at Jason Rasnick or at Benzinga. I know there's things I could have asked and I could have improved on. I always try to look at the feedback and get better. There's a lot of mistakes I make every day, but that is life. If you're, make, if you're taking action, you're making mistakes. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. What's next? Now we're going to crypto, right?